Father, we are here before you now and very, very grateful to be so <clears throat> on a beautiful Lord's Day with your people. Our Father, we open up your word. It's always good. Today will be no exception. And it is our prayer that you would speak through what you have spoken. We thank you, Father, that you have not left us wordless in this world. You have given us hope in it, promises great and rich, all secured in the death of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's our prayer today, Lord, that the people who are gathered in this room would hear and believe and embrace your word by faith. We pray, God, for those who are here in a state of heart that is less than joyful, maybe despondent or anxious, that you would minister to them deeply from your word. We pray for those today who are here who everything is going great in their lives, that they would not fail to look to you and give you praise and glory and know that all things are from you. Now, Lord, also we want to pray and be mindful that across our country there are many of our brothers and sisters gathering in predominantly African-American congregations who are grieving and fearful. And we pray that your Holy Spirit will comfort them today and give them hope and let them know that most of us who name the name of Jesus Christ love them and are with them and are part of them. We are one family in Jesus. So we pray, God, that you will encourage them today. Thank you again for your word in this time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning to you. Now, that was not helpful at all. <clears throat> good morning to you. So, uh, I'm Scott, as you heard Jason uh, introduced me a moment ago. Um, and he said that I was a mentor to him and... and um, I don't want to take responsibility for anything that Jason Pettis has done in this congregation that, that might not have settled well with you. Uh, he Seriously, he is a, a dear, dear friend, and I love him and always love to get together with him. One of the things about Jason that I love the most is that whenever I am with him, I laugh. I just laugh. And so a couple of years ago, um, we made a trip to India together. And uh, I was so looking forward to the trip to India for a lot of reasons. We were going to do evangelism up in the mountains, and we were going to pray together, and we were going to see what God's doing around the world, but also because I knew I had eight days to laugh. And I did, all eight days, and it was beautiful. So I'm, I'm honored um, to be here today. I am also honored uh, to be here with my good friends, Benny and Kimmy Stouffer, uh, the Stouffer's and my wife and I have been friends now for over 30 years. Uh, we served together in a church um, years ago at First Baptist Church of Joelton, Tennessee, and we have been lifelong friends. Uh, so it's always good to sit with Benny and sing, and I love it when he goes into that higher octave. Uh, that was beautiful, brother. You took me places this morning. That was, that was beautiful. Um, I appreciate your church, and I actually recommend your church to people who are going to be in Bowling Green. And so hopefully some uh, will be among us even today. Would you turn to Psalm 42 in your Bible? Psalm 42 uh, and 43. You know, every Sunday, 
in every congregation, people come to worship. And when they do, they are in many different states of soul. When I say soul this morning, I'll probably say that word about 50 times. In our church, we sometimes the children get a little bored, and I always tell them to take notes or draw pictures or whatever they want to do. So I have a drawer full of pictures that they draw of me. Uh, but they also um, write down words that I say. And sometimes they, they write down how many times I say the same word. And so I'm going to say soul today probably 50 times. Uh, and what I want you to know is I'm talking about the state of mind and the state of emotion. People come to church every Sunday in different states of soul, mind and emotion. <clears throat> they have many different needs. Needs from the Word of God applied by the Spirit of God. When people come to church, uh, they need to be called, and they need to be instructed, and they need to be warned, and they need to be corrected, and people need assurance when they come to church, and sometimes people need to be challenged, you know, and I'm sure Jason is a challenger, I just know who he is, Uh, so we get challenged, and then we need to be sent. And so running throughout all of these needs is another need, and you've probably already picked up on it as, as you've already heard introductions this morning. It is the need for hope. You see, hope is about the future. And if you don't have a positive vision for the future, then you don't have hope. And if you don't have hope, then there's going to be little effectiveness in me or a pastor or anyone else calling you to something new or instructing you in how to live or correcting you in the way that you're living or assuring you in the love of God or encouraging you or challenging you and then sending you out. You see, without hope, the big question is, why bother? You see, every congregation, every Sunday, there are those who for some reason need hope. Discouraged, depressed, despondent, anxious, fearful, and every Sunday in every congregation, people need a specific word of hope. They need a reason and they need a way to find hope in some very real and present downcast state of the soul. So today, your pastor has asked me to speak to you directly. So if you're here today and you're anxious or depressed or fearful in some way, your pastor asked me to speak directly to you. But he also asked me to speak to you as a church, as a whole. So you may be here and you may think, I've, like I have a friend who said he's never been depressed a day in his life. I can't relate to him, but that's what he says. So if that's you today, your pastor wants me to speak to you. So that you can be a part of developing a church culture that allows needy people to come to church and loves them and encourages them and brings hope to their soul. And I'm going to do that this morning from Psalm 42 and 43. So hear God's Word. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? 
My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng, and I would lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls, and all your breakers and waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands His steadfast love, and at night His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. From the deceitful and unjust man deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth and let them lead me and let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre. Oh God, my God, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. Now, if you feel after reading that, if you feel like rushing in to cheer this guy up, I want to say to you, hold on. Hold on. Wait. Let him be. Let the psalmist be right here in his despondency so that you can learn how to be helpful to the downcast person. And if you are like this psalmist, and he has expressed the state of your soul, then I want to invite you today to enter in and let him be your guide in finding hope. Now, you probably noticed that I just read two psalms, Psalm 42 and, and Psalm 42 and 43, and it really reads like one psalm. That's because probably, originally, it was one psalm, and at some point it came to be two standalone psalms. But if you take it together, what you have here are three sections that are connected by the refrain that's repeated three times. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise Him my salvation and my God. And what you find in, this, in these two psalms or this one psalm together is hope for the downcast, weak, depressed, anxious soul. And what I want to do this morning is take it apart in these ways. One, let's talk about the many reasons that people become downcast. And then let's ask ourselves a question that's supposed to be answered. And then let's direct our souls to do something. And then let's look at the promise of God that becomes our faith and our hope. First of all, there are many reasons that people become downcast and have turmoil of soul. So let me just ask you to start now, maybe getting in touch with yours. Are your thoughts and emotions unsettled this morning? 
Are you anxious in any way? Do you have a sense of depression? You say, well, I don't know. I haven't been to a doctor. I Nobody's ever told me I'm depressed. Well, do you just feel like there's a drag on your life? Now, I'm, this is not a support group, so I'm not going to ask you to answer out loud, but I'm sure if we did, many of you would say, you know, to be honest with you, yes. I know people who wake up every single morning and the first thought is not, good morning, Lord, what a great day you've made. The first thought is, oh my goodness, do I have to do this again? Are you fearful? Are you confused? Maybe it's just something you can't even describe. There are many reasons that people become like this. What I want you to hear is you're not alone. There are three reasons listed here, and we'll look at some others. The first one's found in the first section, the first five verses. We can become downcast and in turmoil when we feel like we are far away from God, like we are being deprived of the goodness of relationship with God. You ever feel like you're faking it when you come to church? People come to my church all the time and they say, Scott, it looks like at Grace Community Church, everybody has it all together and everybody's doing just great. And I say, well, that's because nobody's being honest. We feel like we're far from God, like we're being deprived of the goodness of God. You know, many people become Christians. And after they become a Christian, they say, maybe a year or two or five years later, they say, I thought it was going to be better than this. I thought I was going to feel better. I thought I was going to be happier. I mean, after all, that's what the guy on television promised me. So what's wrong with me? We get very, very discouraged when we feel like we're far away from God, like we're being deprived of some goodness. That's exactly what's happening in the first five verses of Psalm 42. This is deprived longing. Listen to it. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul pants for God, for the living God. Now, sometimes when people read that, maybe that's a favorite verse of yours. Maybe you've got it on a coffee cup somewhere. Or it's embroidered on a piece of, piece of cloth in your bathroom or something like that. And sometimes people see that and they think, oh, that's about sweet peaceful communion with God. That's like a deer. You can picture it. That's like a deer lapping up refreshing water from a flowing stream. And so this man in the psalm, he's enjoying life with God and his soul is satisfied with the blessings of God. That is not the case of Psalm 42 at all. The deer is panting, not drinking, the deer is in panic and is desperate for water. The deer is not delighting in water. The deer is languishing and in, instinctively knows that if he doesn't find water, he's going to die. So don't, when you read Psalm 42, 1 and 2, don't have a, a picture of a, of a cute deer at rest by quiet waters. You want that psalm? That's Psalm 23, not this one. You need to picture in your mind, rather, an animal in a drought-stricken desert on wobbly legs with his nose in the air, sniffing for the scent of moisture before he dies. That's what this man in the psalm is like. He is thirsty for God, and he longs for connection with God, and he wants to appear before God, but he can't, because he can't seem to find God. 
closeness with God seems to escape him. Is this, is this ringing true for anybody today? Verse 3 says that his troubles have brought him tears. His tears are his daily food. The fact that he feels far from God adds tears upon tears. The fact that people taunt him adds even more tears. He's trusting in God. He can't find God. People taunt him. He's got tears for his daily meal. Verse 4, he remembers what it used to be like when he was happy. He remembers what it used to be like when he was worshiping God with people in the temple. But no longer is he doing so. It's almost too painful for him to even think about it. What this man is describing here is deprived longing. He longs for God. He longs for assurance. He longs for freedom. He longs for the sense of God's presence. But he can't seem to find it. I'm thinking of my friends who are Christians and are even in the church every week, but I have many friends like this because they have a bent toward depression. Or because many of my friends have these intense battles with temptations to do things that they are ashamed about and they feel like if anybody ever found out, they would be cast off. I'm thinking about my friends who have broken, uh, broken longings. They long for things that they don't want to long for. They desire things they don't want to desire. And it seems to persist year after year. And my friends long for a greater sense of assurance of salvation. And they long for a greater rest for their soul. And they long for greater joy in worship. And they long for a greater sense of God, God's presence. But because they're wrestling internally with all of these temptations and all these desires that they know are not pleasing to God, they wonder if God even loves them and so they just keep it hidden. The church I'm a member of is full of people who long for God but can't seem to find Him. And I bet if we uncovered things you'd find them in this church too. How many times have we said, verse 5, why are you cast down on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? One reason is because we can't seem to enter God's presence. We have a deprived longing for God's presence. There's another reason that the psalmist gives for having a downcast soul, and it's because he feels like God has forgotten him. This is in verses 6 through 10. This is the complaint. He's away from the holy city. He's up at the land of Jordan and of Hermon. That means he's north of Jerusalem, away from the holy city of God, away from the sanctuary, up there where the waters are chaotic and threatening, unlike that quiet stream that he longs for. And he complains in verse 9. He says, Why have you forgotten me, God? Have you forgotten about me? Now, we want to rush in. Have you ever heard anybody say, God's forgotten me? God's rejected me. What do you do? Instinctively, you rush in and you say, no, he hasn't. God hasn't forgotten you. But wait, wait. You see, you cannot reason with a soul that is in this condition. His or her feeling holds sway over reason. I think about my friend. I have a friend at my church. And she went to serve the Lord in an underdeveloped country. And it was so chaotic, kind of like the waters, deep calls to deep, verse 7. Chaotic waters. It was so chaotic in this, in this place where she was in this underdeveloped country. And she was so isolated that she came home with post-traumatic stress disorder. And she felt forgotten about by God. 
And even when she came to church, and even as she's around people who are friends and who are lover and love her, she feels very unsettled. How many times has she cried out, verse 11, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? See, we get that way when we feel like God's forgotten about us. And a third reason that we see in the text for being downcast of soul is when help doesn't seem to be available. In, verse, in chapter 43, verses 1 through 5, the man says he's got some enemies. And he needs an advocate. He needs a defender. He needs a helper. But it doesn't seem like God's there to help him. It doesn't seem like help's going to be found. So verses 3 and 4, he says, God, if you will help me, and if you will get me back home, then I will praise you. I have friends who have deep, deep enemies. This man had physical enemies, literal enemies. I have friends who have deep, deep soul enemies. And they're trying to slay the dragon that resides in their heart. And they're saying, God, if you will just help me, but it doesn't seem like you're helping me. It seems like I'm praying about the same problems over and over and over. And I know a woman who has a real enemy. I know a woman who is raising her son all by herself because her ex-husband won't help her and he can't pay child support. And she's saying, God, I've got an enemy. Will you help me? And it doesn't seem like he's coming through. How many times have my friends and have you cried out, verse 5 of chapter 43, the third time the refrain is given, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? You see, we get down, we become we become distracted and despondent and discouraged and anxious of soul when we feel like we're far from God, when we feel like God has forgotten us, when we feel like there's no help in sight. And, and if we're honest, we feel this way when we have shame over our own sin. When we have shame over those who have sinned against us when it has happened to us and we feel, we feel sometimes very unclean. We get discouraged and anxious when we lose our freedom, when we lose our health. How many people do I talk to who, get, who become elderly and they begin to lose their sense of freedom and their health and they become depressed? I spoke to an elderly man who said, I wake up every morning depressed now. When we lose money, when we lose a friend, when we're in pain, when we don't know what the future is. I find a lot of very anxious young people because we don't know what the future is going to hold. We're trying to make decisions and we're not sure what's coming. When we have some other psychological or temperamental tendency toward depression, we become this way. There are many, many reasons. And in these reasons, we need to do the next thing. And that is we need to ask ourselves why. Point two. There's a question found here. I want to focus on verse 5 for the rest of our time. 42.5. There's a question here for the downcast soul to both ask and to answer. Here's the question. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? You know, this is not a rhetorical question. You know what a rhetorical question is? The question is not meant to be answered. It's just supposed to make a statement. So if I come to you and I say, Hey, why are you so upset? If I ask it like that, then it sounds like I'm asking this. Stop being so upset. You big baby, you, you got it made. You know, that's kind of the way we think. This is not a rhetorical question like that. This question is supposed to be answered with honesty to the degree that we can. 
Because something is really happening. Something is really shaking us at times. Something really does wage war in our soul, in our mind, in our emotions. Even when we're Christians. Becoming a Christian doesn't mean you're exempt from this kind of struggle and this kind of hardship. We really are weak people, and we have to be honest. We have to ask, in all honesty, why, soul, are you downcast and are you in turmoil? And answer it. Because honesty is the only way we're ever going to find God. The psalmist is answering and he's asking the question. Why are you downcast? We've answered it. We've seen the reasons he is. How about others? Did not the Apostle Paul plead with God three times to remove the thorn in the flesh? Do you remember that story? Now, Paul doesn't tell us what his thorn in the flesh, what his problem was. He doesn't tell us what it is. We've been guessing ever since. And people have been trying to figure that out since Paul wrote this letter. But Paul knew, and he went to God, and he was very honest about it. There was some kind of pain, some kind of sorrow, some kind of weakness, some kind of humiliation and hardship in the life of Paul that got him down and got him depressed or made him anxious and unsettled. And when he went to the Lord and asked three times, Lord, take this thorn in the flesh away, my sense is that he also went to the Lord and went to his own soul three times and said, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Just like the psalmist did. He had to be honest. And did not our Savior in the garden the night before his own death, did not he call out to God three times? that the cup be removed from him and not have to drink this cup of suffering? I think also our Savior said to his own soul three times, why are you cast down? Why are you in turmoil within me? I have been, in my own life, I have run into my own wall. I have hit the wall of depression and anxiety in my own life. I've had my own seasons where I've felt weak. I thought, the older you get, the stronger you feel. When in reality, sometimes the older we get, the more we become aware of reality, and so the weaker we feel. Psalm 42.5 has been a question that I've asked and answered. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? How about you? Is it time maybe for you to get honest? Is it time for you to maybe open up your own soul and take a look and talk about it? What do you do when you get there? Point three. You have to direct your soul. There's a directive here for every downcast person to give to his own soul and to receive. So what do you do when you get honest about your weakness and when you get honest about your downcast soul? Here, the psalmist speaks to his soul. He directs it, and he directs it to God. Verse 5, hope in God. He's talking to himself. You talk to yourself every single day. And you have to talk to yourself the way the psalmist does. Hope in God. 
We take our weak souls to God. You know, God never requires you, never does God require you to strengthen your soul before you can go to Him in prayer. He says, come to me in your weakness. So you say to your weak soul, hope in God. And you direct yourself to the Lord. Now I ask all the time, well, how do you do that? And I want to give you a few things. How do you hope in God when you're depressed or when you're downcast or when you're anxious? Well, first of all, you look to the cross. Second, you wait before the Lord. And third, you take some steps of action. So first of all, if, you're, if your soul is downcast and you want to find hope, you have to look to the cross of Jesus. You know that Jesus' death for you and for me on the cross deals with every one of our reasons for getting discouraged and downcast and anxious. The psalmist felt like he felt like he was far from God's presence. You remember that? He felt like he was deprived of God's presence. Do you know that the cross of Jesus, Jesus died for your sin and re- removed the sin barrier between you and God? so that He can reconcile you to God, so that you will never be far away from God again? He reconciled you. You may feel far from God, but in actuality, you are never far from God again. Because Jesus at the cross brought you to God. You looked at the cross. The psalmist felt like God forgot about him. You remember that part? He felt like God had forgotten all about him, left him alone. Do you know that at the cross of Jesus Christ, that's where God remembered us in our sin and in our separation? And that's where He saved us by His grace so that nothing will ever separate us from the love of God. He will never, ever forget about us. The psalmist felt like help would never come. He felt like help was completely out of reach. Do you know that at the cross of Jesus, God Himself in His Son reached down to us to offer us the help that we needed to bring us out of sin, out of His own wrath, out of separation, out of death itself, and into a right relationship with Him, into His saving and sustaining arms? The help is always there. We feel shame. We feel lost. We feel need in many areas of our life. And at the cross of Christ, Jesus removed our guilt. He removed our condemnation. I want to say it to you over and over and over and over. I've never been anywhere. I've never been, I've never been to a congregation. I've never spoken to a group of people without there being massive numbers of people who are carrying around hidden shame and guilt. And it's got them depressed and down. And I say to you, look to the cross of Jesus. Because He died for that sin. He has removed that sin as far as the east is from the west. He has removed our transgressions from us. And you will never be separated from God. You will never be separated from His love. He will always help you. He will always be with you. You look to the cross. The cross of Jesus provides every single thing that you and I need in this life. Everything you say, I don't believe that, but it's true because what you and I need most in this life is to be reconciled with God because this life is short compared to the eternity that will be ours with joy in Jesus Christ. Look to the cross. At the cross of Jesus, He secured our salvation. He secured it now and He secured it for eternity so that we have a future hope. 
So look to the cross. That's how you hope. How else do you hope? Wait before the Lord in faith. Psalm 62.1 says, For God alone my soul waits in silence. From Him comes my salvation. Wait before the Lord. I want to encourage you, if you are a downcast or an anxious soul, go before the Lord and open up the Bible. Open up the Scripture. And don't, don't study it so you can prove to someone what you know. Eat it. Drink it. Put it in your mouth like a cough drop, as John Piper says, and let it, let it work its way down into your throat. Let the Bible work its way down into your soul. What I do is I find this. I find one or two verses at a time. Maybe for a month or two, I'll just take one or two verses and I just go before the Lord that morning and I open up and I let them, I let them soak into my soul. And then I might read some more after that, but I start with those one or two, two verses. And they come into my soul and they start to lift me. They start to get me out of whatever place that I'm in. So listen to the Word of God and pray it. Get before the Lord. Wait before the Lord. Get your journal out. Write out your soul. Pour out your soul. Claim the promises of God. Read some books. about. Read some biographies about people whom God has worked in their lives. Those you know, those who go through suffering by faith with Jesus go places with Jesus that they would have never gone before. I say that to people who sit before me in my office. And they say, Scott, I'm going through the most horrible thing. And you know what? It's horrible. No doubt. I wouldn't deny it. It's absolutely horrible what people go through and what they tell me they go through in my office. And sometimes all I can do is look at them and say, you know what? You can't go over this. You can't go around this. You can't go into this. You've got to go through this. But if you will go through this with Jesus, if you will go through this by faith, if you will go through this clinging to the promise of the Word of God, then you will go places with Jesus that you would have never gone before. You will know things about the love of Jesus that you would have never known before. So go, wait before the Lord and go through. And then, another way you hope in God, so you look to the cross, you wait before the Lord, and then you take some steps of action. You actively wait. Hebrews 11, go read that. By faith, they acted. So, how can you act if you need hope? Find some people who can help you hope. Get a friend, get in a group, a small group, get in a class, whatever you need to do. Get around some people who will listen to you, who will pray for you, who will gently interrupt your hopeless self-talk, and they will talk to you with the beauty and the power of the gospel. Another thing you can do to, to, to be active in your, in your hopeless state, finding hope, is serve somebody. You say, what? When I'm hopeless, I thought people were supposed to serve me. Yeah, but when you're hopeless, when you're depressed, when you're anxious, when you're upset, when you're unsettled, Stand at the back door and greet ten people who come in and say, good morning, welcome to the worship of the living God and see if it doesn't do something to your soul. Find a counselor. Go to the doctor. It might be that what you're struggling with has a physical component to it. Go to the doctor. God uses means to instill hope. Finally this morning, and I'm going to wrap this up, there are, there's a promise. There's a promise from God that is found here for the for the downcast soul. There's a promise from God that can be turned into a statement of faith for you. The promise from God that's going to give you hope for the future. And here it is, verse 5. For I 
shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. I shall again praise Him, my salvation and my God. This is not a promise that the soul pain is going to immediately end. This is not a promise that the circumstances of your life that have gotten you down or anxious are going to go away. And this is not a promise that has a a delivery date. It doesn't say today, tomorrow, the next day. But please note that this is a promise. This man of sorrows in Psalm 42 and 43 will again praise God. And if you are a child of God, by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will again praise the Lord. How do you know that to be true? Because Jesus died for you on the cross to remove your sins and to reconcile you with God and to secure your eternity for the purpose of eternally praising God reconciling all who have faith in Christ, securing our eternal life before God through repentance and faith. This is what Jesus died for. The promise of eternal life, you will live forever through Jesus, comes with numerous promises for the child of God. Here's one. I will never leave you or forsake you. Hear that. I will never condemn you or reject you. This is the Word of God to you. All things will be worked together for good, conforming you to Christ as you are called by God and love God. On the day that you call to Him, He will answer you and He will make you bold with strength in your soul. His grace will be sufficient for you for His power is perfected in your weakness. In your weakness. I've spent all of my life thinking that my job was to get strong for God. When the gospel is, nobody's strong for God. His power is perfected in our weakness. If you look at how God works in the lives of His people in the Bible, you'll see that what He gave them was a word of promise. What did He say to Moses? I'm going to be with you. What did he say to Joshua? I'm going to be with you. What did he say to the prophets? I'm going to be with you. What did he say to the disciples of the Great Commission? Go make disciples of all nations. And I am with you to the end of the age. What did he say to Paul? Get up, go preach to Gentiles, and I will be with you. What the people got in the Bible is they got a word of promise. And the word of promise is, I will be with you. If you are a Christian today, you have that promise too. If you are not a Christian today, you can have that promise. Repent and believe. The promise is, I will be with you. The promise is, you shall again praise Him. So, friend, if you're not a Christian today, come to Jesus. Repent of your sin. Throw yourself at God's mercy. Call out to Him. And ask Him to save you. And as you do, the great promise that you will spend eternity praising God and that in this life He will never leave you will be yours. And Christian, this morning, 
Answer the question. Why are you downcast? And then as you do, direct your soul. Hope in God. And then as you do, cling to the promise. Wherever you are, whatever state you're in, you shall again praise the Lord because He will never, ever leave you or forsake you. Our Father in Heaven, thank You for Your Word today. We pray that You would let it land well in the minds and the hearts of the people in this room. Now, congregation, this is the time for you to pray. And you may come to the front here and use this as an altar to the Lord. I think there will be some people here to pray for you. You may pray silently, but this moment is a time for you to respond to God in faith as He has spoken to you today.